Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. This is episode number 71, and what a day, huh? What a week it has been. I hope wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now, you're crushing life. And and if you're not, I hope whatever it is you're going through, I hope that you get through it. And if you can't do it alone, like we always say at Living, It Ain't Week to Speak. If you're ever in doubt, please reach out to someone because people are not mind readers, and sometimes people have no idea what you might be going through. So I definitely, definitely urge you to do that. To all the new members that are joining us here today on the podcast, welcome. I hope you have a great time. I hope that you've rocked up here and you get everything out of it that you expected because it's in my job to to make sure that you walk away from this uplifted, inspired, motivated, and you've learned something new. Please, guys, remember to, to subscribe to the podcast, please. It definitely helps us climb the ranks, but more importantly, what that helps us do as a community it helps us spread these conversations far and wide to places that none of us could really experience the impact that they could have on on people's lives. So hit the subscribe button, write a review if you like the podcast, any feedback, definitely reach out to us and we'll always be happy to help accommodate. Well, it gives me amazing pleasure to bring on our next guest onto the podcast. This is episode number 71. Now, I'm bringing onto the podcast Rachel J. She's a writer, producer, and the host of iTunes' top five podcast, The Rach Active Podcast. She's also the founder of Core 30. Now, I was actually lucky to be on Rachel's podcast not long ago. That's how we connected. She reached out. I was on her podcast. So I thought we'd bring her on our podcast and share with all of us about what she does, where she's from, why she's doing the thing that she does in her life. And I wanted to really pick a brain, obviously, about not only the active lifestyle and what she does in her life around fitness and health and talking about you know all things women's health, I really wanted to bring her on to talk about how you can develop healthy habits for your body and your mind and how you can maybe master your mindset for optimal performance you know, through mental health skills and emotional skills and all that sort of stuff. It kind of integrates. I think this is a really good podcast and it will be a great podcast for those of you who, who might be struggling to find consistency in your life with habits, healthy habits that are good for your mind, your body, and your soul, and, and good for the people that you're around in your life. But on top of all that, I think what I find, I guess, most exciting is you know, how can we master our mindset 
you know, through both emotional and mental health. I didn't even incorporate physical health there because I believe that it definitely starts at the top. So I'm very excited for this podcast. Rach is also an actor and she's been on Neighbours and a bunch of feature films many years ago and she's kind of still dabbling in that. She's done a stint over here in LA, but now she's back in Melbourne. She's actively pursuing the health and fitness lifestyle and smashing out her podcast and, and speaking a whole bunch. So lots of great things that we can cover on this podcast, but I want to get us straight on. I'm excited and I hope she's excited, but let's just welcome her straight onto the podcast. Welcome, Rachel J. Well, I'm absolutely joined here in front of me. Rachel J, you're on the podcast. You're in Melbourne. Yes, I am. You said it's freezing. It's a bit cold, you're, yeah. You're sitting there in a, in a tank top. <laughs> I know. What's going on? Well, it's war- <laughs> Well, it's warm in my apartment, so I've got the heater going. I don't like to wear too much layering if possible let's just try and get get the sleeves out like as long as possible (laughs) okay okay so you're hot-blooded yeah well you're generally someone that gets hot easier or cold easier yeah i get hot easy i think definitely yeah that's rare for a lady that's very rare i think it's from all the training to be honest okay yeah i think when you when you exercise a lot for example i can't train in leggings like a lot of people train in leggings even in the winter i can't do it it's too hot Mm. so because a lot of women run around in leggings and the you know yeah I, I see it all the time yeah, yeah it must be hot yeah it must be very hot i'm similar to you i get i'm very hot blooded i prefer to being cold and i certainly prefer having the air con or the fan cranking in the winter seriously the air con in winter if i have air con i'd be sleep like because i don't have roof fans here in la right so I would be sleeping with the air on, su- not freezing, Something but I, pref- I prefer to be cold. Like I prefer to sleep when it's freezing yes. as opposed to being just warm Sweaty or and hot, hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I can't stand that. Yeah, I get you. Anyway, enough about that. <laughs> Welcome onto the podcast. It's great to have you on. I'm very excited for today's episode. Obviously, we're just going to go with it. Yeah, I'm excited. Obviously, I want to learn more about what you're up to, who you are, obviously, why you exist in this world, doing the things that you do, I think is is fascinating for the most part. But talk to me through this. Rachel J, what's your background? Are you from Melbourne originally? Where are you from? How did you get to this point in your life right now? Oh, that's a big question, Sam. Uh, <laughs> that is a loaded question, but just, just give me what you've got on whatever's come to your mind straight up. All right. Well, yes, I was born in Melbourne. I've spent most of my life here. And I don't know, I guess if we kind of go through, you know, my childhood and whatnot, I was always into... I guess, creative arts, you know, writing and acting and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously we have that in common. And when I finished high school, I actually got my first agent. So I had been acting professionally from a really young age and booked my first feature film with Delta Goodrum, Hating Alison Ashley. That was when I was at the ripe old age of maybe 18. And so that kind of led me down that path. And so I actually, you know, wanted to become a journalist when I was in high school. I rolled in a comms degree, did that for a year, but I was filming the film as well. And so decided to change majors and then moved into a drama degree instead and pursue acting professionally from then. So then obviously did the LA thing back and forth, which obviously you're doing at the moment where it's nice and sunny over there. But that was a really great experience to go and study Meisner, like we've spoken about before, and really kind of deepen my craft of acting and obviously try to further my career as an actress there. And 
I kind of did a, you know, a few stints on and off in LA. And when I got back to Melbourne, I sort of was then dabbling in health and wellness. And so it kind of expanding my work. And I guess there was a point there where it started to transition more over to the health and wellness space and less to do with acting. And so I then went on to study a whole bunch of different disciplines in health and wellness. I've done sort of neuro-linguistic programming, which is very much to do with the mind-body connection, how our thought patterns and physiology and everything affects the way we think and behave and nutrition and Pilates and boxing, a whole bunch of different areas. And so I think that's kind of what has brought me to this position now where basically I work in the health and fitness space or health and wellness space and really helping people, I guess, more to do with their physical health, but also their mental and emotional health, which is really, I guess, where my passion lies and where I think that, you know, a lot of the changes that we need to make or the changes that we want to make in our lives to better our lives, that's kind of where it's all at. So I guess that's a really brief version of how I got here. That's great. <laughs> we're going to use that as kind of like a launch pad. Yeah, fab. And for those of the people who don't know, Rach has her own podcast, which I was very lucky to be a guest on her show recently called The Rach Active Podcast. So definitely go and check that out. She does some amazing things on there. Speaks to awesome guests. Like you've had some great guests from all over the world on there with all their own, you know, experiences and whatnot. But without giving too much away, guys, definitely go over and check that out. I'll provide like the link to the show in the show notes, obviously. So definitely take the time to cross over and check her podcast out. It's great. <laughs> you know, it was great chatting with you and learning more about, you know, what you do. Let's just rewind a bit though, obviously, before we talk about the health and the wellness journey and, you know, your passion and your interest there and what you're doing for people around mind, body and, you know, creating healthy habits to live better. Mm. I want to ask you this, obviously, just from my own interest as an actor, what was it like at, you know, 18 years of age working on a feature film with Delta Goodrum? Obviously, at that stage, you're probably, you said it was your first major role Mm. and she's obviously quite famous or well-known in Australia at the time and probably still is, what was that experience like? Oh, it was incredible. I think I was very fortunate that I was able to book that role on that show. The auditions, we did about three or four rounds of auditions for that. And when I got the call that I booked the film, it was, yeah, one of those really, one of those great moments that you just imagine when you're an actor, when you get the call from your agent. And yeah, it was really great because we had if I remember correctly, we had about five or six weeks full-time filming here in Melbourne. Docklands Studios had just opened, so we were actually the first feature film to film in those studios. And it was great because, yes, obviously Delta was a huge rising star at the time. Her music career was taking off. She'd just come off the back, or I think she was either doing Neighbours at the time or just come off the back of Neighbours. She was also going through her cancer treatment at the time as well, which was a really – It was interesting because she had to wear a wig for her costume. But I think that whole experience of being an actor, being immersed on set every day with my castmates really was what propelled me to transfer into my drama degree because I loved it so much. And it was so great because we got to work with other – I mean, aside from Delta, there was Saskia Burmeister, Craig McLaughlin, Jean Kitson, like amazing actors, Australian actors that at that age – I just felt very fortunate that I was able to work with some great people and also that would have been, that, that would have been great, hey? Yeah. It would have been great 
and getting those, you know, two or three rounds of an audition, like, do you want to explain that to some of the audience who don't know much about acting? I haven't spoken much about that on this podcast. What's that experience like for you, like mentally and I guess physically, like with what you know now? What's that process like? That process for that particular film, that was probably one of the funnest, most enjoyable audition processes because we were kids at the time and we also auditioned as a group. So it wasn't, we maybe went in for the first test with a script and you're obviously with a reader. And then when we got the callback for the second and third callbacks, that was more they brought together a shortlisted group of actors. And we also met Delta and Saskia during the audition process. Yeah. yeah, So that we could kind of see how everyone integrated and the chemistry between everyone. And yeah, basically, I guess for people who are listening, who don't understand what the audition process is like, you're going for usually a first read. You'll have a first audition. If they sort of like you and want to see you again, you'll be shortlisted and come back for a second audition. Sometimes there's a third callback. Sometimes there's a screen test like you do in LA. There's no screen test for this because we don't do that in Australia. But there was, yeah, about three auditions for this one. So you basically get given a script, you learn it, you read it, or you memorize it and perform the scene. And then mostly in the second and third callbacks, we did a lot of improv exercises. So that was kind of fun. It was kind of like going to an acting class, really. And just having fun. Yeah, yeah. It was so fun. Making mistakes. How how do you go with making mistakes, Rach? Like what's your, obviously from 18 to where you are now and your journey through, you know, the arts and you're still dabbling obviously in arts, but as you mentioned, you're probably more working along, you know, in the health and fitness area just because that's happening. It's busy. It's something you probably, you know, you're very good at, you're passionate about. What's been the hardest thing for you with the transition, I guess, both physically and mentally for you? I think the hardest thing was letting go of the identity of being an actor. That Mm. was massive for me because I have been doing it since I have been an adult. My whole adult life I have in my head that my identity is wrapped up as being an actor. And of course, in Australia especially, it's something that's quite unique. Not everyone is an actor and if you tell people – you know, people ask you, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm an actor. They get super excited and you tell them all the stuff that you get to do because it is unique, right? It's a unique profession. And so I think when I started to transition into health and wellness, the biggest thing for me was to actually let go of the idea of being an actor and not viewing or perceiving myself as an actor. It took so long to even, I think sometimes too, when you are pursuing something like being an actor, sometimes it takes people a long time to even say, I'm an actor. So that in itself is one step, but then exiting out of it is also, that for me was quite difficult because, okay, so who am I if I'm not an actor then? What do I stand for and what do I want to contribute to this world? And it's almost like a loss of significance in that way. And so that for me was more of a self-discovery journey, like really understanding who am I without being an actor. Yeah, it totally resonates. And I get that. Mm. So for example, right, let's just take acting away. If you were doing, let's say you were a school teacher and you were transitioning to health and wellness, would you have still felt like, do you think, what's my identity if I'm not a teacher? Or do you feel like, because I feel like acting in itself brings that pressure of the identity. I don't know. It's kind of hard because you place so much significance on it because you're in the most vulnerable position ever, right? Because as an actor, for those of the people who don't know much about it, they just watch films and they don't know the origins and the history of it. You kind of, you're putting yourself out there in ways that you would never normally do in any other given circumstance in life. And 
it's very hard to kind of let go, I feel, to a certain point and kind of not packaging yourself up in this brand. Like I'm an actor, you said, it's very hard to call yourself that. Like, do you call yourself an actor after you've booked your first successful role or do you tell yourself you're an actor after you've booked a couple of season regulars or do you call yourself an actor when you just go in acting class? Mm. I feel like I'm interested to hear your answer, but for me, I mean, I feel like in life, I've got myself into the rabbit hole, so to speak, like bad situations mentally when I've tried to identify myself with something or something else, as opposed to I'm still Sam Webb who does acting. I'm still Sam Webb who does public speaking. I'm still Sam Webb who is involved in living. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I feel like when you put this hat on and you try to identify yourself with anything in life and you step away from it, I feel like you set yourself up for failure in a way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And that's not limited to a profession. And I do think acting is a little bit different than maybe being a Mm. teacher, like you said. There is some kind of gravitas to being an actor, right? It's sort of seen as this very like special thing. You're obviously in the spotlight, especially if you're working professionally. And it is really dangerous to attribute, I think, more so your self-worth to being an actor because like you know you know the industry is so volatile you can be working sometimes you might not be working for years you know and it's not just with acting but I think with anything like anything external to you if you do place value on it so much that your identity is wrapped up in that external thing I mean inevitably that external thing will change I mean you don't have control over whatever that is or even the trajectory of your career as an actor what if you're thinking to yourself okay, I'm an actor and that gives me a lot of significance, but I haven't worked for five years. What does that do then to your self-worth if you're thinking that all you are is being an actor? So I like what you said about having this idea of this is what I do. Acting is something that I do or coaching is something that I do. Being a podcast host is something that I do Mm. rather than it being who you are inside. Yeah, 100%. And it was great to ask you that because I feel like where a lot of people, and I've been wrong, and I'm not saying it's a black and white thing, but I've done it before. Like I've kind of like molded myself up to have this identity. And then you kind of, it's setting yourself up for letdown because at some stage in your life cycle, your journey, you're probably going to, like you said, it's going to change or you're going to change or go somewhere else. And if you're so attached to what this perceived identity looks like as Rach J or Sam Webb or whoever it is, and you're all of a sudden not doing the things that you thought who Sam Webb or Rach is, you kind of feel lost in this world. I feel like if you place that sort of brand on who you are as a person, whereas I think if you're a builder or if you're a school teacher or if you work in a college or you know you drive limousines or Ubers or taxis or whatever it is or you're whatever, I feel like they're the things that we just do. I don't think that's who you are as a person. It's part of who you are. It's part of what you do, but it isn't who you are. Yeah. I think you touched on something interesting there with the branding because that's the thing as actors, you're so conscious of who you are presented as publicly. So that's part of it, right? You've got this personal brand of who you are, how people perceive you. It's always in the industry, you're always being judged on how you look, number one. 
And number two, how you present yourself. As soon as you step into an audition, you're immediately, well, firstly, before you even get into the audition room, they've already judged you on how you look. That's why you're in the room in the first place, because you look a certain way, right? Or they might have seen your showreel. And so you've already got a perceived idea of what people think of you. And so generally speaking, people are typecast, even if that's not, you know, sort of said explicitly, that happens. And you have this sort of invisible brand that maybe you're not conscious of, but you're always playing to. And so to be able to know that that's not who you are as a person, that's just part of who you are, or you're essentially as an actor, you're a product, right? And really, when you look at the big scheme of things, when you work on a production, you're just one little piece of this whole thing and you're there to tell the story. And you are a little bit, in a way, like a puppet in some ways. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to put a negative kind of view on actors, but if you look at it from a big picture perspective, you're one piece to tell a story. And so if you do wrap yourself up with thinking that, you know, that is who you are, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous, I think. It probably comes with it the fact that, not to say every actor is obviously, but a lot of people in the arts and entertainment put so much significance on their role. Like it's like they're ultra special. Yeah. And that comes with that identity crisis, I think, too, because you're placing so much pressure on this is what the success that you've brought or this is what you've done for a production or without me. Like it's kind of like they wouldn't have been able to do that. But everyone is replaceable, I feel like, in life, in what they do. I heard a really good quote actually the other day, I might have to pinch it for my own social at some <laughs> stage, but it's kind of like you're replaceable in work, but you're never replaceable in family. And that resonated with me, like to a certain point. I mean, I feel like we're all replaceable at the things we do. There's always someone that's better at what we do, or there's always someone that does things different. And it's kind of like you're just doing what you know that's the best at that moment in time. And we're all learning. And I might be diverging a little bit here, but you know, whether you're acting or whether you're public speaking or whether you're a teacher or, you know, you work in a school or you drive taxis or an Uber or a limousine, whatever it is, it's important to know that that's just part of what you do on a day-to-day basis. As I mentioned earlier, it's not who you are. That's not what you're wrapped up with. So if you're struggling right now with a bit of identity crisis or you're struggling to let go of a career and maybe transition into a new career and you're worried about letting that one go, it's important just to, I guess, reassure yourself that life is full of these new chapters and you shouldn't put that much pressure on yourself to be who you are for the entire life at that point in time. It changes. It always changes. Kind of going a little bit deeper there, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So going into the health and fitness industry and your passion with that and you know, doing your online programs. I know you've worked with some tremendous brands, worldwide brands over the years, doing some amazing work. What's been your biggest breakthrough? And you've probably learned a lot with the work that you do now and how that may have been able to serve you even better Mm. as an actor. What do you think? Oh, yes. Well, I think there's a lot of crossover here with what I do and acting. And I think for me, The podcast for me is the most fulfilling work I do because I get to speak to some really amazing people, inspirational people, leaders in the space, and particularly around personal development and or psychology, those kinds of things to deal with your mental and emotional health. That's where the crossover is with acting because 
it's the study of human behavior, right? And I guess as an actor, your outcome is really to tell a story. You're trying to impact the audience with a story that you're telling through embodying a character and using those traits. Whereas I guess it's just, it's the same sort of thing. It's just a different context in health and wellness where we're trying to unpack the ways in which we as humans do life. And that could be in your health journey and your fitness journey and your wellness journey, but you want to understand how you think, you want to understand how you behave so that you can better your life or have a better experience of your life. And essentially, the way that we all experience life is subjective. We all have a different perspective and experience life differently. And so, that for me has been super fascinating to understand how individual people perceive things and how can we work with the instrument that they have or their thoughts, their behaviors, their patterns, how can we shift them so that they can live more optimally? So that's, you know, there is such a crossover and we spoke about this in your episode where, you know, actors could probably make really great psychologists and psychologists could make really great actors. There is so much crossover with the study of human behavior. Mm, There really is. There absolutely is. It is fascinating too because- you mentioned there like something that I want to talk about, you know, having to live an optimal life, right? How can we change and alter someone's perspective or their instrument to live a more optimal life? What do you and the conversations that you've had with people, the work that you do in the fitness and the health space, what is something that's kind of consistent when you're dealing or speaking to people that are maybe not living optimally like are you seeing any kind of trends personally i know that you're not a mental health professional by any means but are you seeing any trends that are kind of sticking out and it's kind of like consistent across the board yeah i would yeah no there definitely is and i think it's all humans really we all do this the way we experience the world is really how we communicate to ourselves okay so we can think thoughts we might see play images in our mind's eye, or we may have sort of feeling. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Things in the body that dictate or lead us to do certain patterns of behavior. People who are, I guess, trying to achieve a certain outcome, whether that's through health and fitness or some other area of life and aren't doing that, there's something going on in the way in which they're telling themselves a story about themselves, about the goal that they're trying to achieve that is conflicting with the goal that they want to achieve. So, and a lot of this is, it comes down to unconscious patterning. You know, and this is all kind of covered in, I studied neuro-linguistic programming. So, this is my master coaching certification is in this area, which is basically trying to access the unconscious patterns and thoughts and make them conscious. Can you give me an example of that? Like, could you give me a like real- An example of that. Real world example? Yeah. So- Of someone with those distorted thoughts or- yes changing those patterns like so what's it look there was a girl that i worked with and we were looking at a behavior a specific behavior of hers which was she had an addiction to sugary foods which i think a lot of people do and (laughs) yes of course me Me sometimes too (laughs) of course there's the physiological aspect of in terms of the actual dopamine hit and, and you know that kind of thing but if you're talking about it from a mental perspective in terms of changing your thoughts about it what we kind of discovered when we unpacked her behavior was that when she was younger she would only get to eat those kind of sugary treats at her friend's birthday parties, for example, or places where, you know, like a school morning tea or something like that. Because as a kid, you're not really able to go and buy treats for yourself. You're sort of left up to, you know, your parents or whoever to get that for you. So what she was finding was that in her adult life, whenever she was presented with just say a morning tea at work, she would just eat all the sugary treats because basically the context of her being a young kid had unconsciously patterned itself so that when she was put in a different context but similar, she would just repeat the same behavior and not conscious of it either. So when she became aware of that, what you can do is then kind of separate the different contexts. So obviously as a kid, you don't have control over when you can eat foods. You often are told when you can or your parents give you permission to do that. As an adult, you can eat treats whenever you want. You know, yeah, you don't just have to be at work at a morning tea. So just even that understanding immediately gave her then ownership or empowerment of making a choice and a conscious choice. So it's basically taking something that is unconscious that we're doing that's habitual, that maybe has been ingrained from childhood or something like that. That we kind of don't know that we're doing it. It's just kind of on repeat. That's right. Yeah, it's on repeat. And then making it conscious and then making a conscious decision to either do it or not do it. So how do you bring someone to like, and that's a great example, thank you for sharing, but someone that might be, you know, dealing with, I don't know, an addiction, for example. 
similar, like to sugar or alcohol. Obviously, from a non-mental health professional point of view, like they may not have been alcoholics when they were young, but they've resorted to doing, you know, drinking and drinking at certain stages of the day or the week or the weekend, whether it's binge drinking or ongoing drinking. Like, how do you change someone's unconscious thoughts to become conscious? Like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, how do you bring and make someone more aware? Like, I know how it makes me aware, but is there something that is kind of like, a, I know not everyone has the same fit, so to speak. Like, my, what works for me may not work for you. But how is there any simple tips or strategies that someone can employ that's listening right now that can do something to become more aware of their tics or their habits or their addictions or the things that aren't serving them well in their life, their friends, the saying yes when they really want to say no or going to work or not quitting the job because they're scared of what, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So with the example of let's take drinking or it could be smoking or any sort of habit, habitual behavior. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter what it is. I would say that one of the simplest things you can do is journal. And the thing that you want to be aware of is what has happened just before you do that habit, for example. So generally there's some sort of trigger or something that tips you to reach for, take that action. And it could be a myriad of different things, right? But you want to understand what that is for you. And so if you are able to just be conscious in the moment, okay, I've just grabbed a drink from the fridge, what has just happened and write it down. But you've got to sort of record it for a period of time, right? So do it for a week or two or a month. You'll start to notice a pattern and there'll be a commonality of what it is that triggers you to that behavior. Now, the actual behavior that you do is kind of irrelevant in a way. That's just kind of what's available at the time, what you were exposed to. Kind of a release. Uh, yeah. It could be a release, for example. As could, well. you know, and it could be a million different things. Some people use food, some people use alcohol, some people use drugs, smoking, whatever, exercise. Exercise. Yeah. yeah. You know, some people do use it in an excessive way to deal with something else. Oftentimes what it is is some sort of emotional challenge or something that's going mm, on that you're not quite – Like a trauma. Trauma that you might not – be looking at properly and you know to be honest like sometimes there's points where you don't want to look at that because it's a bit too painful at that time Mm. but just to be aware of why you are performing that particular behavior and then to shift it I mean one you want to come at it from looking at the deeper root cause of what it actually is and you might want to do that with a mental health professional like a psychologist or a psychiatrist to work through those things but on the external end of things in terms of the behavior shift Once you kind of see the pattern and know what the trigger is, you just need to switch out that behavior for something that's a little bit more healthy if that's the outcome that you want to achieve. So if you know that, just say, for example, you're going through a hard time, you've got some emotional challenges that you're going through, you're reaching for a cigarette. You know that when you're reaching for a cigarette, you're going through some hard stuff. So you need to actually switch out that behavior instead of just removing it altogether. You need something else to replace it with. So it might just be a small thing where you have half a cigarette and then you reduce it to switching it to a vape or something like, you know, if you want to do something like that, just to do it incrementally. And then you've changed the external behavior response to whatever the emotional or mental trigger is. Yeah, it's very important. It's fascinating because there are a lot of people that no doubt are listening. This resonates with everyone in some level. You know, whether it's excessive something, 
you know? 100%. We all have our vices in some way, shape, or form. And it's not actually the vice, the excessive alcohol, the drinking, or sorry, the drug. It is obviously they're a product of what's happening underneath that we must pay attention to and work through. And that's why I loved when you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's necessary to speak to a mental health professional. Sometimes it's important just to speak to a friend. Maybe it's not something that's so severe that you can get through it, you know, quicker or something like that that doesn't need formal intervention, so to speak. With all that being said, I mean, you know, you talk about developing healthy habits for the mind and the body and, you know, overcoming fear and all that and, you know, rejection and that sort of stuff too in life. Do you have any like kind of like top level strategies for how to develop healthy habits for your mind and body or what works for you? Yeah, well, I would say that you've just got to start small, right? And not put too much pressure on yourself to change your life in a day. You know, it it takes time and it's incremental and it's all about the small actions you take every day. I think that one of the best quotes I've heard is the way you start your day is how you live your day. So if you want to change your life, right, as a broader scope, you basically are reverse engineering your life. So broader scope, how you live your year is how you live your month. How you live your month is how you live your week. How you live your week is how you live your day. How you live your day is how you start your day. So I would say a morning routine is one of the things that I hugely am an advocate for because it literally is you just have to focus on what you do first thing in the morning. So for me, what do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I love my morning routine. It's one of my favorite times of the day. And Are you a morning person? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a morning person, but I am because of my morning routine. So I will wake up earlier. So whatever I have on during the day, I will wake up earlier. So I make sure that I get this in because I know that it will set me up for a great day mentally and emotionally. So what I do first thing in the morning is I meditate and that'll be for about 30 minutes to an hour. And for people who don't really meditate and think it's this very intimidating thing, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes or an hour. It could be five minutes. Start with five minutes, start with two minutes and gradually increase as you go, right? And then after my meditation, I'll do a gratitude journal, which I will basically just write down what I'm grateful for, why I'm grateful for it and how that makes me feel. And if you haven't done a gratitude journal before, start with three things, just three things. I am grateful for dot, 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 because dot, 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 and it makes me feel dot, 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 three things. Then I do an intentions list, which is basically the things that I intend for my life. So, you know, what I want to achieve with my business, what I want to do in terms of the podcast, all different things, areas of life, relationships, etc. And then I'll do some reading. So to prep your mind for a good day, you want to fuel it with positive thoughts and positive words. And so you can choose whatever book you like. At the moment, I'm reading The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And so I'll read a chapter every morning. That's about 10 minutes. And then after that, I'll do a bit of reflections writing, which is basically anything that's come up in my meditation, any light bulb moments that I have whilst I'm meditating or just stream of consciousness. And so maybe that whole routine might take, I mean, because I meditate for 30 minutes to an hour, that might take an hour and a half, you know, something like that. And that sets me up for a really great day. And I don't know about, you know, you guys listening. I know for me, when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing in the morning is probably the lowest I will feel in the day. 
And so I know that once I do these things, these habits, it will immediately put me in a better state mentally and emotionally so that I can carry out the rest of my day and show up as well in a really good state. So morning routine, even if you do one of those things, it sounds like you crushed the morning. I mean, <laughs> good stuff, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> I mean, I never used to be a morning person growing up. And over the years, I've definitely turned into a morning person. I feel like my most productive, I'm just very similar to you in a lot of those regards. I mean, I feel like the things that you do in the morning really make your day amazing or it can really affect your day. And I feel like in order to get off in a good foot, you know, whether it's making the bed or setting your intentions or visualization or going to the gym or going for a walk, whatever it is, it's important for people like you, obviously, and for me. Not everyone's a morning person, though. So I love your tips around developing, you know, a simple healthy habit that could change the way that you think and operate during the day. But this, again, may not suit everyone. This is something that definitely works for us. I know sometimes some people, you know, have an amazing nighttime and they have slow mornings and that's how they manage their day. Let me ask you this, because I find this a struggle and I genuinely want to know when you don't set up your day and you're a morning person like you are and like I am and you don't do the things that you really wanted to get done in the morning to set you up are you rigid and if you are how do you be flexible so that you're not kind of like in a bad mood or you don't feel like you've done enough and you punish yourself throughout the day to try and catch up for what you lost in the morning like what do you do to remain flexible because I love your morning routine. <laughs> I think it's great. It sounds heavily committed. But you and I both know you wouldn't be doing that sometimes. Like there are some days you just can't do that. Yeah, definitely. There's some mornings that... So what do you do? Some mornings you have to give yourself permission to have a day off from your morning routine, <laughs> of course. What does that conversation look like though? Like how do you talk yourself through it? Because I know for me, if I don't do my morning routine, I don't wake up before seven or I don't go to the gym and I haven't given myself permission to do these things, I kind of berate myself sometimes. Yeah. And I don't have the most healthier self-talk. And I know that that's a constant work in progress. So how do you give yourself permission? How do you do it? So I think the first thing I'd say to myself is, if you don't get to this, it's okay. But just basically say to yourself, you can do this when you get back from wherever it is that you need to go or whatever work that you need to do. Knowing that if you don't get it done, it's not the end of the world, right? It's not going to be hugely detrimental if you miss one day. The other thing I would say as a piece of advice would be, imagine you were talking to your best mate or your partner or your mum or dad, someone that you love and care about. If they were talking to you, the way that you're talking to yourself, braiding yourself, saying, oh, you know, you're this and you're that for not getting it done. How would you speak to them if they were talking to themselves like that? What would you say to them, you know? Yeah, you'd be nurturing, you'd there be caring. You'd be like, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. There like you. we can pick that stuff up tomorrow. Tomorrow's a fresh day. Let's just get through what we've got to do one thing at there a time. And it's comforting, it's nurturing, but sometimes, and I know I'm not alone in this, and there are a lot of times where it's great self-talk, but then on the other end of the spectrum, there are a lot of times where the self-talk isn't the greatest, and I'm not perfect, but there are a lot of people who I, can, I know that would resonate with me when I say this, that it is easier said than done, mm -hmm. and it's we often forget about how we talk to our friend or how do we talk to our loved one you yeah. know, or our family member, and we go straight to that negative mindset, and 
I feel like for me, it's a work in progress all the time. I'm definitely more on the positive side, but I've learned a lot of great tactics and strategies and skills over the years, but it's not holproof. I mean, it's not holproof at all. There are times where it's rough, man. The mornings, you know, like the days are rough and that's just what life's all about, I guess. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes it's just going to be bad. And sometimes it isn't going to be what you expected or sometimes your mindset's not going to be as strong as you thought and that's okay. That's definitely okay. Yeah, and I think what I'm hearing you say is just more even a judgment on how you're berating yourself. So there's a double layer there. You're not only berating yourself for not doing the morning routine, but you're now also judging yourself for berating yourself for not doing the morning routine. So now there's two layers of stuff that you need to get through. I think in the morning, if you can remember this, and if you start, if you recognize that you are berating yourself or judging yourself, just start jumping up and down and reaching your arm. Jumping jacks. Jumping jacks. Something to just snap yourself out of that state. And that's all it is. It's an interruptive uh, thought pattern. Because if it's something that you habitually do from time to time where you just default into, you know, berating yourself for not doing it, just start moving. And that's how movement and mental health play such a huge, there's such an interlink there where if you can shift your physiology, that's how you can actually shift yourself out of a thought pattern default state. If you notice that you are berating yourself, you can just start, yeah, do jumping jacks, do some push-ups, something that immediately will shift your mind out of that patterned response. Yeah, kind of gets you out of that rational thinking or the thinking brain and gets you kind of forgetting about that. It's Definitely can help. These are all great strategies, Rach, and I'm very grateful that you've been able to share them. What's something that you struggle with, though? Like, out of your days and out of your transition and all that, like, has there been a moment in your life where you've kind of, like, because we all feel lost at times, I think. I think that's just part of being a human. I feel like we're generally, sometimes we just feel lost, even when we're so the opposite, you know? What do you struggle with? I think, for me, the thing that I constantly am trying to manage is my mental and emotional state this is why I'm so interested in it because yeah we're human and I have up and down moments and especially when you're going through challenging times in your life which we all do right and I've definitely been through some difficult times I think for me it's been more like relationship breakups or like my parents got divorced when I was you know very young and so or not very young 17 and so relationship breakups has been the thing that they're the most challenging times for me. And so I think for me, what I've noticed is you can suffer so much more if you don't know yourself and if you're not self-aware and you can get stuck in this cycle of pain just in your own mind and emotionally if you are unable to manage your emotional state and your mental state so that you can actually get out and live life. I mean, I've been witness to people who, you know, people close to me when they've gone through similar struggles where they keep themselves stuck in this loop of suffering. And it's not nice to watch that, you know, with someone else that you really care about. And so I think for me, I've always wanted to not have that for myself. So how are the, what are the ways that I can actually mitigate that kind of pain and suffering? They're the biggest struggles, I think, for me is dealing with emotional challenges, dealing with mental challenges. And how do you, you know, I always ask myself, how can you move through the emotion quickly without 
denying that those emotions exist because we know we experience grief, we experience loss, heartbreak. All of these things are really painful experiences. And I think we can all agree as humans, they're probably the ones that we try to avoid the most because they're the most painful. So, you know, having experienced several of these in my life, I feel like they're the most challenging ones to move through, to feel them as well, you know? Yeah, to really sit with them too. Hey? Yeah. Sometimes you, when most of us and a human again, I mean, we resort to things to try and cover the pain or to hide the pain or to – and it comes back with a vengeance if you don't deal with it one way or another. But it's so true because like I just feel – and you are too. I mean, we're big advocates that, you know, your mental and emotional health, I mean, is the key to success. It really, it really, it really is. is. Like if you've got a great, you know, solid mental health – like we all sit on a spectrum, but if you've got solid mental health and you're great with adversity, you know how to take failure, trauma, setback, loss, all this, which we all consistently get better because remember the mind is just a muscle. That's all it is. It's like your heart. So it's, it takes strength. You've got to put in the work in the gym, whatever that gym looks like to you. That's great. Everyone's mind gym is different. But I feel like as I've gotten older in life, it's kind of like the only thing that's ever let me down is my mental health everything else is flying like if my mental health is flying my life is i'm at the top like no one's coming near me it's freezing up there i'm like i'm way up like (laughs) it's good up here you know what i mean so mental health is very important you've obviously shared a, a ton of great you know strategies tips your own personal experiences and whatnot you know before we get to the end of the podcast and kind of wrap it all up I want to let guests know, obviously, to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to Rachel's podcast, subscribe to It Ain't Weak to Speak, because the more people we have that are subscribed to both of our podcasts, the more lives that we can educate, the more lives that we can change together for the greater good. But before we finish up this episode, Rach, what's your biggest advice? And I ask this to most of my guests you got to give me something good. Okay. Right. It's pressure. No. Well, no, there's no pressure. What is some good advice? You've given amazing advice, by the way, but what is the single biggest piece of advice if you had to let all of our listeners know right now, they'll never hear from you again, what's the biggest piece of advice you'd love for them to know that you've learned? I think the best advice I've been given, and I try to live my life by this, is to listen to that little inner voice within and take action with courage in spite of the fear. So I think, you know, sometimes there are things that we want to do in life and we feel scared to do it and or we feel pressure from external expectation, societal and cultural expectations or norms and we so often don't listen to what we know is true for us because we're scared of being judged, of other people's opinions, of what our parents might think of us, all of these kinds of things. And we, like anything, courage is also a muscle that we need to develop and cultivate. And I always have felt that whenever I've listened to my heart or my intuition, it has really never led me astray, even if it seems scary to go down that path. And so I think our lives are so short, right? We have limited time here. So live the life that is true for you and have the courage to live the life that is true for you. That's really the best advice I've been given and I really try to live my life by that. I love that. Yeah. 
I think that's an amazing way to live. <laughs> and it's a great place to learn from. And I mean, when everything else fails, if you just look back at that one piece of advice or that you could even bundle that up in kind of like a system of values or whatever you want to look at it like, it can really help you get out of even funky spots that you find yourself in in life, whether it's a rabbit hole or whether it's your own mental health challenges or whether it's a breakup or whatever it is. I think if we can try and bring ourselves back to the reasons why we're here and you know, time here in life is limited, why we're here, what are we going to do and how are we going to get the hell out of this situation that we're in? Very well said, Rach. I could speak to you for hours. I know. But unfortunately, the podcast, we don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, Rach, where do people find you? How can they listen to your podcast? How can they follow the great work that you do? And all that stuff. All that stuff. So basically, you can find the Rage Active podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast and just hit subscribe over there. My website is rageactive.com and my Instagram is at rageactive underscore. So pretty much rageactive. Just find me on all the bits and pieces. You've heard, guys. You've heard, <laughs> you've heard from Rach. You've heard from the boss. We'll share all of the links and all that great stuff too in the show notes so everyone will have access to that. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today. I've, you know, I've enjoyed every moment. I've learned a hell of a lot already from yourself over the last couple of podcasts, that is, not just this one. So as I said, guys, head on over to Rach's podcast, subscribe, follow her, support what she does. And yeah, without further ado, look after yourself down in Melbourne. <laughs> Thanks. It's been such a pleasure. Love chatting to you. Big love. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.